0: Time Travelling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Trisha
1: and I'm Penny. This week we joined the Doctor and Joe as to get caught up in a carnival of monsters. We will be discussing the Doctor, the companions and the villains and giving our thoughts on the story as a whole.
0: We'd also love to hear your thoughts on the story. So to join the discussion you can check us out at Timeteamp, that's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or you can email us at time travelling team at teamproductions.com now, though, Patty, I will hand it over to you for our story recap, please.
1: Thank you very much. Episode 1. At a spaceport on a distant planet, a ship descends onto a landing platform and two silver skinned humanoid aliens go to meet the new arrivals. The ship is being unpacked by a group of grey skinned aliens who seem to be more primitive than the silver skinned ones. Two alien humanoids called Lermans disembark from the ship and watch as their vast array of baggage is unloaded. The female Lerman, who seems less than impressed at their surroundings, alerts her male partner to the arrival of the silver-skinned aliens. The arrival panics one of the grey-skinned aliens, who flees to a walkway above the ship. One of the silvers holds the other greys back, whilst his colleague takes a strange device shaped like a tuning fork from his belt and shoots the grey with it, causing him to clutch his chest in pain as he plummets to the ground below. He tells his colleague that he merely stunned the grey, but that he needs to be taken for analysis before being eliminated. Meanwhile, the two Lermans, Vorg, and Sherna change out of their spacesuits into garish circus attire and summon the crowd of grey aliens to watch their carnival of monsters which is inside a device that contains a zoo of various alien creatures in their natural environments However, their pitch is interrupted by the arrival of the Silvers who are less than enthusiastic about their presence on the planet The one who shot the grey Commissioner Kallick, expresses his displeasure about the new presidential decree allowing outsiders to their world and voices his hope that an investigative tribunal led by another of their colleagues, Pletrak, will reverse the ruling. Meanwhile, Shurnup points out an alert on the device that Vorg unhappily acknowledges is a system defect. Meanwhile, the TARDIS lands in the cargo hold of a ship in the middle of the ocean. The Doctor and Joe disembark, with the Doctor assuring her that their surroundings are perfectly safe as he has arrived there before. Joe comments on the sulfurous smell in the air, but he tells her not to worry. Joe questions him if he is certain of their location, and the doctor insists that they are on Metabilis tree, but is stopped by her when she points out the sound of machinery. He sheepishly says that they might have arrived on a different planet in the system, and says that they should find out where they are. Just as they leave, Joe hears something in the shadows, and they go to investigate, finding a cage full of chickens. The Doctor warns her that they may only appear to be chickens, but Joe confidently states that they are, and then points to a cargo box the crate is on top of, which has Singapore emblazoned on the side. Embarrassed, the Doctor leads Joe up to the main deck, and he tells her that they need to be quiet as there is something unusual going on. Joe jokes that he can never accept that he is wrong, but nevertheless follows him, making sure to avoid the crew on the ship. They hurry into a nearby room where they hear someone approaching and take behind a sofa as a trio dressed in 1920s-style clothing entered the room after them. One of them, a retired Major named Daly, says he intends to do a bit of reading and allows his daughter Claire to go for a walk with the other man, one of the ship's officers named John Andrews. Through their conversation, they reveal that they are somewhere near India en route to Bombay. After Claire and Andrews leave, Major Daly starts to read but quickly falls asleep. The Doctor is adamant that they are not on Earth, but Joe carefully takes a newspaper from a nearby table and shows it to him, informing him that the date is 1926. He still refuses to accept her surroundings, and Joe frustratedly calls him stubborn. Suddenly, they hear clears, screams and take cover again as she and Andrews rush back into the room. They hear roaring from outside, and the Doctor takes a peek and sees a plesiosaur, a dinosaur that went extinct over 130 million years beforehand. The policial sword dives back into the water and Andrews goes to get weapons to defend them and after he leaves, the doctor and Joe try to sneak out of the room but are spotted by Claire. Major Daly asks if they are passengers and Joe says that they are but they have been below decks as the doctor, who she refers to as her uncle, has been ill. However, Andrews returns and reveals that they are stowaways. He says that they are to be held in Major Daly's cabin until the captain is free to see them and he leads them away from the room. En route, the doctor notices a strange metal hexagon on the floor and asks them if there are any others on board, but Andrew says that he can't see what he is talking about. He then ushers them into the cabin, and once they're alone, the doctor reveals to Joe that they're on board the SS Bernice, a ship that went missing in mysterious circumstances akin to the Mary Celeste, and according to a calendar in the room, they arrived on the day it goes missing. Joe then notices that the clock seems to be changing time, and the doctor says that it is daylight outside, even though it should be dark. The doctor works on getting them out and Joe presents him with a set of skeleton keys. Meanwhile, on the alien planet, Chairman Plattrak is interviewing Vorg and Sherna, and is alarmed to see that they are entertainers. He then confides to Kalik and his colleague Orem that the President must have brought them to the planet due to a recent scientific theory that the Greys, which are called functionaries, are acting out due to a lack of entertaining stimuli. The trio argue amongst themselves as to whether or not to send them away and reject the presidential decree, with Kallik being supported by Orem in favour of doing so. Vork says that he has an official welcome letter from the President himself, but when Petra goes to verify it, Scherner realises that it is an autograph from a famous wrestler with the same name. Back on the SS Bernice, the Doctor and Joe examine the hexagon, and he says that he can open it with a device from the TARDIS. Joe says they need to be careful, and when they approach the guest room, they hear Major Daly, Andrews and Claire inside, repeating their earlier conversation word for word. The Doctor says that someone has programmed the ship, the passengers and the plesiosaur and he tells her to take cover so that the events can play out as they did earlier. They exit the room after Andrews leaves and head for the TARDIS so the Doctor can get the device to examine the hexagon. Joe suggests they should leave altogether and she suddenly calls the Doctor out with the TARDIS when she sees something above them. He rushes out and watches as an enormous hand reaches down and takes the TARDIS away. Episode 2 The Doctor calls out for the return of the TARDIS but to no avail. Joe finds it hard to comprehend what they saw, and the Doctor says that they need to get off the ship in order to find the TARDIS. They make their way up to the deck and take cover as Claire and Andrews walk on the deck overhead. Joe says that the Plesiosaur should be appearing soon, and the Doctor says that they need to wait for it to scare them away. Meanwhile, Vorg pulls the TARDIS out of the device, saying that it must have been causing the defect that showed earlier. However, he is forced to put it back when Kallik and Orm approach them. They ask Vork how the machine works and he starts it up, referring to it as a miniscope, and shows them the scene playing out between Claire and Andrews. He then switches it to show an Ogron before showing a species called Drashigs who are large, worm-like creatures. Kallik seems unimpressed when Vork says that they're the most vicious creatures in the universe and are completely uncontrollable. He then switches back to the Plesiosaur attack on the SS Bernice and the Doctor and Joe use the attack as a chance to get back to the TARDIS. However, They are stopped by Major Daly, who shows no sign of recognising them due to the loop that the ship is caught in. Andrews enters and suddenly challenges the Doctor to a fight. Unbeknownst to everyone, Vorg is demonstrating a function on the miniscope, which heightens the aggression of all the specimens within it. The Doctor reluctantly accepts the challenge and easily dispatches the young sailor. He and Joe then flee, pursued by a rifle wielding Andrews. They make their way to the cabin deck and the Doctor takes the device that he took from the TARDIS to examine the hexagon. He tells Joe to use it whilst he holds one of the corridor doors shut as the crew try to break in. However, they are stopped by Andrews and Major Daly, who hold them at rifle point. Andrews and his men prepare to shoot them, but Vork turns off the aggression amplifier and they return to their normal routine and go for dinner, leaving the two time travellers stunned. They go back to the hexagon and manage to get it open, revealing a hole in the deck. They climb down and come across a large machine relay, which the doctor excitingly begins to examine. Joe asks if there is any way out, and the Doctor says that if they follow one of the circuits, then they should get out of the machine holding them. Meanwhile, Sherna takes Vorg aside and discreetly states that she has never seen the Doctor and Joe before, but he tells her that all Tellurians, an intergalactic term for Earthlings, look alike. Their conversation is interrupted by the return of Plectrach, who says that the letter is a forgery. Caddick then uses the opportunity to tell Plectrach that the Miniscope is housing undeclared alien specimens, in direct opposition to an interstellar ecology ruling. Plattrack and Kallik says the Miniscope and the specimens within it will have to be destroyed, and Vorg's protests are ignored. Scherner laments their situation and says she regrets joining him, but their argument is interrupted by a pair of functionaries arriving with a large cannon-like machine called an Eradicator. Platrak orders them to destroy the Miniscope, but it manages to resist the effects of the Eradicator, much to the shock of Platrak and the others. Orm says that the Eradicator was designed to target organic molecules so the specimens inside are more than likely dead and so the trio depart happily. Vorg, delighted to see the Miniscope intact, checks on it to make sure that it's still working. Inside, the Doctor and Joe regain consciousness after being knocked out by the blast from the Eradicator. Joe says that they are deliberately being attacked by their giant captors, but the Doctor doubts it as they have done nothing to antagonize them and says that they should keep moving. Vork's checks reveal that all the specimens are intact, but the Miniscope receives some damage to its view screen. He starts to repair it, but unbeknownst to him and Shira, their conversation is being monitored by the three Silvers. Kalden then that they due to the that they are helpless due to the president's. Pres- um, come on. Rents that they are due to the president's disbandment of the planet's army. But Plattrak says that he is overreacting due to the alliances that they have with the neighboring planets. Kanek insists that Vorg's people will invade the planet and that Vorg is more likely an advanced spy. Inside the miniscope, Joe notices that they have been going in circles and then stops to take a rest. The Doctor points out that they must be near an air duct due to the nature of the surrounding machinery. Before they can try to look for it, they are forced to evade pliers used by Vorg as he attempts to repair the viewscreen. Vorg sees them and gets Sharon to confirm if they are, are there or not. However, Calic and Orm sneak up on them and hold them at blaster point, demanding that he hand over the transmitter that they suspect him of having. The two entertainers insist that they are only trying to repair the miniscope, but Calic doesn't believe them, and orders Orm to search the machine. Orm uncovers the TARDIS, but Vor warns him to put it back. However, his warning comes too late as the ship starts to grow in Orm's hand and he hurriedly puts it on the ground and joins the others as they watch it grow to full size. The three silvers fall into a panic and demand to know if anything can get out of the miniscope by itself, and Vorg insists that it is impossible. Inside the miniscope, the doctor manages to break through one of the air ducts, and he and Joe climb through it and find themselves in a cave that leads out into a large moor containing methane rivers. The doctor says that they should look around, and Joe reluctantly agrees. Their sabotage of the duct is registered as another system's defect, and Shearna points it out to Vorg, who turns on the screen to view the moors. He reminds the Silvers that this is the habitat of the Drashigs, and he is shocked when Sheeran points out the presence of the Doctor and Joe inside it. Rourke says that they are done for, as he and the others watch as the Drashig emerges from the marsh and towers over the Doctor and Joe. Episode 3 The Drashig lets out a terrible screech, but crawls past the Doctor and Joe, leaving her stunned. The Doctor explains that it must be hunting them by scent, and is heading for their outward trail at the cave. He then says that they had better get away quickly in case any more come along. This is all being watched by the Silvers and Vorg and Sherna, who tell their hosts about the gruesome discovery of the creatures, which cost the lives of 50 people. The Doctor and Joe continue to make their way across the moor and Joe struggles to keep up. They suddenly encounter a group of Drashigs, but Joe becomes stuck in the mud as they try to escape. The Doctor uses his sonic screwdriver to ignite the methane rivers, causing it to burst into flames which holds the Drashigs at bay. He then goes to help Joe, but they watch helplessly as the Drashigs go around the flames and charge at them. Suddenly, Vorg's hand appears after he'd been coaxed by Kallik to intervene, and he blocks the Drashigs long enough for the Doctor and Joe to run back to the cave and get into the inner workings of the miniscope. The Doctor realises that they are actually in a miniscope, and Joe is disturbed by the concept of being entertainment, but the Doctor says that it is no different to how she and other humans attend zoos. He does say that he was a driving force behind the abolishment of such devices due to the treatment of sentient life inside them. Joe says that the one that they are in must have missed the destruction order sent out for them and they are now surrounded by danger on all sides. Suddenly, they hear roars of the Drashigs nearby and the doctor says that they had better leave. This turn of events is noticed by Sharna, who expresses concern to Vorg that the Drashigs could run riot throughout the Miniscope or even break out, but he tells her to keep quiet. Elsewhere... Plaktrak frets as to what to do about the Miniscope, and Kalik tells him to go seek presidential permission to deport Vorg and Shierna, along with the Miniscope itself. Inside the Miniscope, the Drashiks break into the inner workings and begin to hunt down the Doctor and Joe. Their presence inside the ways causes an alarm to go off, and Sherna urges Vorg to reveal what is going on to Kalik and Orem, who were drawn to the sound of the alarm. Vorg tries to deny any fault, but Sherna tells the Silvers what happened which leads Vork to lay the blame on Kallik due to his insistence that Vork save the Doctor and Joe. Kallik then brings Orym aside and admits that he only intervened as he believed the Drashiks would follow the fleeing time-travellers and potentially break out of the Miniscope and run amok on the planet. He reveals that he did it because he wants to use the chaos to launch a coup against the President and take power by returning the planet to its former military glory. Inside the Miniscope, the Doctor and Joe reach a dead end with a sheer drop below them, and Joe begins to lament the hopelessness of their predicament. The doctor says they need to apply some lateral thinking as he believes that there is an extractor vent at the bottom of the hole. Joe takes his meaning literally and suggests that they try to go through the walls to get back to the ship so they can get rope to go back down to the hole. They then try to find another hatchway back to the ship as the drashings draw closer. They arrive back in the cargo hold and begin to search for rope but are interrupted by the arrival of Major Daly and Andrews who came to investigate a sound Major Daly heard. Andrews spots Joe's boot and orders her out. Joe whispers to the Doctor to stay there, and she is taken away by Major Daly and Andrews, who bring her to a common room where Claire is. Joe tries to break Claire's conditioning to get her to see through the illusion she is in, but to no avail. Andrews returns and says that she is to be taken to see the Captain, but he and Major Daly are also unable to be snapped out of the illusion. In the cargo hold, one of the Drashings breaks through the wall of the ship and charges at the Doctor, flinging him into a pile of boxes and he falls to the floor unconscious. Andrews and Major Daly enter, followed by several armed crew members, and they open fire in the Drashig, but their bullets are useless. Andrews orders them to fall back. The captain appears, and Andrews informs him about the creature, but says he can fend it off with dynamite. Outside, Platrak returns and says the President has granted permission to deport Vorg and Shierna, as well as jettisoning the TARDIS into deep space. He then notices that the functionaries manning the Eradicator are gone, and Kallik says that he dismissed them. Patrick orders Orm to get them back, and after he goes, he tells Kallak that he would be suspended and his actions investigated. Back in the Miniscope, Major Daly tries to get Claire and Joe onto a lifeboat, but Joe refuses to go without the Doctor. Major Daly then takes a Tommy gun off one of the sailors, and uses it to fend off a drashig as it bursts through the deck. He then takes Joe and Claire back to the guest room to get a drink. Meanwhile, in the cargo hold, the Doctor comes to just as Andrews prepares to use dynamite to kill the drashig, and he calls out for him to stop but it is to no use. The Drashik retreats back into the hole into the inner workings of the miniscope and the doctor examines the damage. He then uses some rope to climb down to the extractor vent and comes across one of the metal hexagons beside the dying body of a Drashik. Up in the guest room, Andrews returns and the scene plays out again as he and Claire prepare to go for a walk and Joe once again tries to get them to remember what happened with the Drashik. She then rushes out of the room when they don't listen and Andrews and Major Daly go after her, believing her to be a stowaway. Outside, Shirna notices the power failing in the miniscope and shows Vorg and he says they need to repair it before it fails completely. Pletrak comes over to see what is happening, but he is distracted when Shirna screams as she sees the Doctor stagger out at the bottom of the miniscope. Episode 4 The Doctor grows back to full size and Shirna goes to tend to him as a terrified Pletrak orders a pair of functionaries to kill him with the Eradicator. Kanak intervenes, but Pletrak insists that he needs to be killed in order to prevent any type of contamination. The Doctor struggles to his feet and, ignoring Plattrak's outbursts, asks where he is. Karak says that they are on a planet of Interminer, and after realising that Joe was right all along, the Doctor turns his attention back to the Miniscope, demanding to know who it belongs to. He informs everyone that the Miniscope is an illegal device, and Plattrak tries to absolve himself and the others of any blame, but the Doctor refuses to listen. He then offers a deal, that if they allow him to go and rescue Joe and the others, he will leave peacefully. If not, then he will alert the proper authorities and have the machine confiscated and force Pletrak and all the others to face punishment. Pletrak tries to convince Kalik and Orm to support his killing of the Doctor, but they oppose him, and Pletrak, sensing Kallik is up to something, asks what he is up to. Kallik, however, gives him a flippant response before leaving with Orm. Vorg watches the scene unfold and expresses admiration for the Doctor, who he believes to be a fellow Carney, for his clever handling of Pletrak and the others. He then greets the Doctor and carnally speak, but this only serves to f- confuse the Doctor. Vorg introduces himself and Sherna, but the Doctor says that he needs to go rescue Joe. Sherna warns him about the dressings running wild in the miniscope, and Vorg demands the fact that his insurance doesn't cover the loss of livestock. The Doctor angrily berates him for his ignorant treatment of the specimens inside the machine, and becomes more alarmed when he is told that life support systems in the miniscope are failing, and that they won't last much longer. Meanwhile, Joe is avoiding Andrews and Major Daly as they search for the ship for her. She makes her way back to the cargo hold to find the Doctor, but she is caught by Andrews and one of his men. Orum and Kallik observe the Doctor as he sets about trying to fix the menoscope. Orm expresses his concern that Platrak could accuse them of treason, especially if he discovers that they sent the functionaries away in order to sabotage the Eradicator. Kalik tells him not to worry and instructs to him to plant a component removed from the device into Vorg's bag. Meanwhile, Sharna points out the side of the miniscope bulging and realises that the Drashigs must have reached the outer casing. She tells Vorg, who says that they need to escape before the Drashigs get out and grow to full size. However, they are stopped by Plattrak, who tells them that they are only allowed to leave on a special quarantine vehicle and forces them back at gunpoint. The doctor tells Vorg that he needs his help to man the miniscope whilst he goes back inside to save the others. Unfortunately, he is dismayed to find out that Vorg won the machine in a bet and doesn't know how to use it properly. The Doctor asks him to look for a piece of the miniscope, and whilst Vorg looks for it, he explains to Shirna that he plans to connect the miniscope to the TARDIS in order to get Joe out and send all the other specimens back to their own time zones. Vorg returns with the component, and the Doctor tells him to wait whilst he goes into the TARDIS. Elsewhere, Orm confides to Kallik that he doesn't think the plan is safe as without a working eradicator the city will be destroyed by the rampaging drashigs when they finally emerge from the minoscope. Kallik tells him to trust him saying that they will be able to act as saviors of the city and then leads him to the minoscope. Meanwhile Joe is placed in one of the cabins to await questioning from the captain but she uses her skeleton key to escape. The doctor shows Vorg and Shierna how to use the connection relay to the TARDIS but Plattrack arrives and Shierna accidentally reveals the plan. Platrak says that he's to stay there to await questioning, but the Doctor signals for Vorg to activate the relay, and he disappears back into the miniscope. Platrak shoots at his disappearing form and hits the relay, damaging it, and Vorg and Schirner desperately try to repair it. She finds the eradicator component and hands it to Vorg, who is surprised to see it as he recognizes it as a military technology. The Doctor successfully reappears in the miniscope and makes his way back to the cargo hold, where he hears Joe calling for him. The duo reunite and make their way back towards the spot the Doctor marked as an exit for Vork to beam them back. However, the life support systems in the miniscope start to fail, and in the guest room, Major Daly, Andrews and Claire pass out. Meanwhile, Orm urges Kallak to hurry as the quarantine shuttle is en route and they could arrive at any moment. Kallik tells him to distract Plattrak whilst he tries to open the extractor vent to let the drashigs out. He does so, but the creatures burst out and grow too rapidly for him to escape, and one of them towers over him. Patrick tries to use the Eradicator, but discovers it is sabotaged and then flees. Vorg rushes to it with the missing component and reattaches it and shoots the Drashig that has just eaten Kallik, killing it. He then proceeds to target the other rampaging Drashigs. Shirner then reminds him of the Doctor, but Vorg says that the power is gone. However, he detects a faint power flow and then activates the relay, which successfully sends all the specimens back to their original time zones, but it destroys the Miniscope as a result. The Doctor and Joe suddenly appear, and the two entertainers are delighted to see them alive. The Doctor then explains to Joe that everyone has gone back to their own time zones thanks to the TARDIS. He and Joe then put the relay back into the TARDIS, whilst Pletrak thanks Vorg for his heroic actions. Sherna points out that without the miniscope, she and Vorg have lost their income, and Vorg, sensing an easy mark, draws Pletrak into a shell game and begins to fleece the unwitting bureaucrat. Sensing that he and Sherna will be alright, the Doctor and Joe enter the TARDIS and take off end of the story <laughs> so now that we have exited the carnival in fine fashion <laughs> with no candy fuss, what a shitty circus <laughs> <laughs> um, what's a carnival just...
0: not a circus they're two different things
1: yeah true sorry <laughs> I just wanted to say what a shitty circus <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we'll make our way over to something that's definitely not shitty which is the trivia spot.
0: Thank you thank you. And to your point, both carnivals and circuses should always have candy floss. So So the air date for Carnival Monsters is the 27th of January to the 17th of February 1973 The writer for this one is Bob Holmes. This is story 5 for Bob with 13 more to go (laughs) (laughs) You're a legend Bob The director for the story is Barry Letts. We've discussed before that Barry had in his contract that he could direct one story per year. Hmm. He didn't always do that, but he could if he wanted to. He's previously directed Enemy of the World. He did uncredited directing in Inferno. And he directed Terror of the Autons. He has two more directing credits coming up. Those will be Planet of the Spiders and The Android Invasion. Now, part of that whole he can direct one per year Mm -hmm. is that he has to give up his producer credit in favour of the directing credit. He can't have both. The BBC was very clear on that. He can only be credited as one. So this story doesn't have an on-screen producer credit for Barry because he took the director credit instead.
1: Mm.
0: The working titles for this were The Labyrinth and Peep Show. (laughs) Now, Bob Holmes really wanted it to be called Peep Show. Yeah. And Terrence kind of said no because it could be misconstrued to mean something else. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. This is the first story to use the term Tellurian mm-hmm. when referring to a human being from Earth. Bob Holmes did use it a couple more times, uh, but this is the first time that we saw it. Another term that Bob made up is Drashig, which is an anagram of. Dish rag. <laughs> so apparently, a white dish rag would be hung on a pole, and that would be like where the actors would get their eyeline because the eggs were obviously added in after. Mm. Yeah. Um, which I just imagine them all looking at it, looking like a dish rag on a pole.
1: What did you make of the the the, the, dish, the dish rags?
0: I thought they were actually kind of good.
1: Yeah, they, they I thought were the like... effect
0: of them was really good.
1: Yeah, that was like um, I thought it was really impressive. Really, really impressive. It kind of reminds you of the sandworms from Beetlejuice.
0: Yeah, I mean we're going to get to a story next season where I think yes. certain yeah, certain <laughs> things didn't look yeah. as well as the Drashigs did this time around. No, like, even like not. you had these little spikes coming off them, like the little hairy spikes and stuff. Very cool. Hmm. The Ogron and the Cybermen, they weren't flashbacks. They were actually new scenes filmed specifically for this story. Hmm. However, the actors who played them, Rick Lester and Terence, they were uncredited.
1: Yeah, so just in case people are wondering where did a Cyberman come into the equation, as uh, Vorg is testing the machine to make sure it's still okay, a Cyberman appears on the screen.
0: Yeah. Apparently, in order to make this a workable 4 parter within the proper runtime, there was a lot of editing that had to be done. Apparently, it ran over by quite a bit. So originally, the cliffhanger for episode three was going to show the Doctor plummeting to his death quote unquote okay. um, and that was caught and replaced with the him walking out of the miniscope yeah so the SS Bernice is actually the RFA Robert Dundas um, the ship was meant to be um, scrapped so it was used for this purpose at one point the production actually had to stop because the ship's compass had disappeared
1: Hmm.
0: turns out John perfectly took it <laughs> for fuck's sake so he thought everything on the boat was being scrapped whereas actually <laughs> that particular item of the boat was actually going to be auctioned off and so John had to quite embarrassingly give it back <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, shooting was again interrupted this time by a bomb scare um there was the ticking of an alarm clock that was in someone's <laughs> bag and it was interpreted as something else. Oh, okay. So the interminor officials or the silvers as Paddy was calling them, um, they were originally meant to have their face hidden behind masks, but Barry didn't want that because he thought the performances would better would benefit more from having like their full facial range, which I agree. I think they work better that way. Mm. And actually their silver makeup was actually really good.
1: Yeah, I, ex- I would say, with the exception of uh, Michael Wishers, due to the fact that his was fading quite a bit at points, like I don't you know. can see, you know. see, you can see, you can see his neckline and like his eyelids and around his lips as
0: well. Well, I, I kind of liked the fade on the lips, so because it kind of went from pink to grey, which I actually quite liked. So originally, that planet was meant to be called Odron. um, but they thought that you know different title worked better, so I went to an interminer.
1: Yeah, and the names, sound, the, cool.
0: The names of the officials were also different. Um Plaktrek was meant to be Plectrek 4. Right. Orum, Kalik, and Zarb, who we never see, but who is mentioned, were meant to be Grig 7, X10, and X8. I think I These... prefer Plectric Orum, and Kalik, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, because
1: otherwise they just sound like Elon Musk's kids. <laughs>
0: The Miniscope was originally referred to as the Strobe and then they changed over to Miniscope. I think miniscope is probably a better a better descriptive term for what yeah. the device is. Um when uh, <laughs> Vorg speaks Carney, so I didn't know this. Apparently there is a sort of authentic Carny language. Right. I didn't know this. So apparently what those lines mean and it was Bob Holmes who, who put these in. Uh, parley the Carney is basically do you speak Carney?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Varda the Bona Pallone is look at the good looking young girl.
1: Mm.
0: And Niente denari here illis is no money to be made here, you know. So, I I've, you know, the, I butchered those pronunciations. No, no, but <laughs> okay,
1: no, no, when you when you say that and you give the translation, it actually makes sense.
0: Oh, makes perfect when sense. It, yeah, makes perfect when sense? Like, it, you when
1: you when you hear it, it's like, huh?
0: Yeah, I actually forgot about this until I was watching the behind the sofa for this. This is the only third Doctor era story mm-hmm. that has a Cyberman in it. Yeah. And I actually, I
1: the reason I always remember that fact is because John Perks, we did an interview with Terry Wogan, mm. and Wogan, you know, was like, oh, you know, you, in your time you fought many Daleks and Cybermen, and John was like, nope, no Cybermen. Lots of Daleks though, but no Cybermen.
0: Yeah, he never had a Cybermen story, which is yeah. odd if you consider how long he was in the role.
1: Hmm.
0: According to Barry Letts, this is his favourite Bob Holmes contribution to so, the um, show, and he thought that the Dractics were the best monsters of the series, or certainly one of So, a couple of cast mentions. So, Major Daly is played by Teniel Evans. And he was actually recommended by John Pertwee, who was in the Navy Lark with him. Because it was Teniel who recommended that John take the Doctor role. So, he sort of recommended his buddy after that. Uh, Cheryl Hall, who plays Sharna, and Jenny McCracken, who plays Claire, were both actually considered for the role of Joe Grant. They got down to the final selection, like the final five or six. Mm. And when Katie got cast... Barry said, I'll find another role for you at some point. And so he, he brought them back.
1: I can see Sh- like Sherna and Katie have a very similar look.
0: Yeah.
1: Or Sorry, yeah, Cheryl and Katie have a very similar look. Yeah. That's kind of cool.
0: I like that whole idea of going for one role and they write a different role for you. Even if it's just a one-off. It, yeah. It's quite nice. And the other person who got that was actually Ian Martyr. Mm. So Ian Martyr played... Um the Andrews Andrews, that's his name, thank you. um, he had actually been up for the role of Yates, uh, uh. which obviously went to Richard Franklin, and yeah. so Barry Pushman, in this instead, we will talk more about Ian in the years to come, as in the seasons to come because mm-hmm. he will come back as Harry Sullivan,
1: yeah, like oh God, he would have been he would have been wasted. Wasted as eats.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, so is it Franklin, to be honest, poor guy.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, like, unfortunately, yeah. it's like, I suppose, the same with, like, we, with Peter Purves as well. Like, you know, it was like he's wasted in the role of Stephen.
0: <laughs> in our opinion.
1: <laughs> yes, in our opinion, yes. Let us, <laughs> it has to be stressed.
0: So, on to the characters that we'll be discussing later on in our character mm-hmm. discussion. So, as Vorg, we have Leslie Dwyer. This is Leslie's only Doctor Who acting credit. His non who credits include In Which We Serve, The Bad Lord Byron, The 39 Steps, Zed Cars, Dixon of Dock Green, The Sweeney, Coronation Street, The Famous Five, and Heidi High. Leslie passed away in 1986.
1: I actually have a very fun Doctor Who connection fact about Leslie. Oh, yeah. He starred in the movie The Way Ahead with William Hartnell. Oh, cool. And uh, in. The, the last episode you know he talks about his experiences as being part of like a, a artillery regiment mm. and he's on about like a sergeant like I was really hoping that that actually might be a reference to the fact that William Hartnell played his sergeant oh, in okay. the movie The Way Ahead
0: <laughs> That's cool Shorna as mentioned is played by Cheryl Hall again only Doctor Who acting credit for Cheryl though she was up for the of Joe Grant her non-hit credits include The Bill, Silent Witness Magic Grandad, The Men's Room, EastEnders, Citizen Smith, Lucky Feller, and Zed Cars. Plectrack is played by Peter Halliday. This is the fourth of six stories for Peter. We previously saw/slash heard him. He was in The Invasion as Paka. Uh-huh. <laughs> he was also in The Silurians, where he did the Silurian voices, and he did the Alien voices in The Ambassadors of Death. We'll see him again in City of Death and Remembrance of the Daleks.
1: I would not have recognized him not a fucking tall.
0: Me no. either. And I don't, think you... You, I don't think you'd recognize recognized the next person either. Aurum right. is played by Terrence Lodge. This is the second okay. of three appearances for Terrence. We previously saw him in the Macra Terror where he was the guy in charge.
1: Oh, like, to be fair, like, we watched the animations like so, it's like well, pretty... we did
0: see him, though.
1: Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, no, not a way would I fucking recognize <laughs> him, but I don't, like...
0: We'll see him again in Planet of the Spiders. Lastly, as Caelic, we have Michael Wisher. This is the second credited outing for Michael. We previously saw him in The Ambassadors of Death and Tower of the Autons. We will see slash hear him again in Frontier in Space, Planet of the Daleks, Death of the Daleks, Genesis of the Daleks, Revenge of the Cybermen, and Planet of Evil. Michael passed away in 1995. Okay, so on to our character discussion, part mm-hmm. three yes. of the podcast. <laughs> so we've got the Doctor, we've got our companions. Um, I just had Joe down as companion. Yeah, same. Then we've got prominent characters. I had Vorg and Sharna.
1: I put Platrak in there as well.
0: Yeah, I can kind of see him being a uh, prominent character to villain. Yeah. Bit. Um, and then under villains... <laughs>
1: Oh, sorry I was going to say it's all shades of grey that I realised <laughs> wait a minute that's just a very poor analogy
0: um, and then we have Orm and Calick who are definitely in the villains category
1: definitely definitely.
0: so Paddy your thoughts on the Doctor this time around
1: so I, w- I wonder was it because of his experiences in the Space Museum as a specimen that the Doctor has a chip on his shoulder about um, I suppose living zoos or is it just just the fact that he doesn't like zoos at all?
0: I think it's that he doesn't like zoos at all because he says that he was part of the um the the push to, to get these things banned, and yeah. I kind of like the if you ever imagine like a young Doc Bill, mm-hmm. and like this sort of being him getting involved, you know, because like. Yeah. Time lords don't really get involved in interplanetary stuff, but is like him getting involved. It's yeah. a bit of him advocating for others and stuff like that. So I kind of like that connection.
1: I, I do because, like, my I won't go into my overall like thoughts just yet, but this story does raise very interesting, uh, concepts. Mm. It does because, like, uh, you especially you're not a fan of. Zoos no. or circuses or a- anything that involves the. I don't like animals animal- in
0: captivity at all. Yeah.
1: Now, me on the other hand, I'd like like safari parks or wildlife parks. Like, so we have photo photo mm-hmm. wildlife park here. So, and I've been to the the Animal Kingdom over in Disney, where they have more space in which to be comfortable. Like, they're not confined into paddocks or like, really cramped space. Because I've been to zoos like in. Rome and uh, Madrid and the zoos there are horrible because of the conditions that the animals live in mm. and it's like, like so I'm one of those people that it's like okay if they are in captivity I would rather them be comfortable in captivity rather than pressed for space
0: yeah I mean for me that's a uh, that's an uncomfortable if yeah like I will always remember I went to Chicago over ten years ago now about twelve years ago, maybe, and we went to a zoo,
1: mm.
0: and I hated it. Um, at one point in the zoo in Chicago, there was a polar bear
1: mm-hmm.
0: that had a pool that was smaller than your average like dolphinarium pool. Mm. You know, like the standard size pool you'd see in a dolphinarium. It was smaller than that. Half of it was covered, like, on the surface with leaves and just, like, those scary, like algae building up and stuff like mm. that. And this polar bear was swimming in the smaller circles in the bit that had no leaves. He didn't even touch the other side. And he was just swimming continuously mm. in this tiny circle. Like I said, in half of a pool that's only, the, like, it was smaller than your standard dolphin area. And bear in mind... I am talking about like a dolphinarium, not like the sea world type thing yeah. designed to have orcas in it, like a yes. small dolphin tank. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was absolutely the one of the most distressing things I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. I absolutely hate it.
1: So like, the, the, that's, the story does raise the very interesting idea of that because like Joe, you know, makes the point of like, I don't like the idea of being, you know, viewed as entertainment. And then he makes the analogy, it's no different than you going to a zoo. And then he read he does like the carnival barker type Mm. thing where he's like roll up roll up and you know spend your money and all this kind of stuff and actually really distresses her yeah um so that i i quite enjoyed that scene um but what the i suppose the big thing coming from the doctor here is like the cold fury that Mm. like he expresses when he when he finds a one vorg's view of like their livestock He's like you know his it's it's not a callous attitude but it's a it's a very aloof or an ambivalent attitude towards Mm. the lives of the creatures in the miniscope and the doctor is just very cold and then you know is that you know the offer which is like look if i can get them out if i can send them home and i can get joe out i will walk away and i will not say one word about this to anyone if you try and stop me though then everyone will suffer the consequences so i i i really enjoyed the doctor's performance here i enjoyed john's tour de force here also, I realized by watching this that I have an action figure of him from the specific story because <laughs> because of the Wellingtons. <laughs> um, yeah, so look, just this was a good... Th- this was one of those stories where it's the doctor stands up for the little guy, literally. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah, no, I completely agree with you on John. I think it's a great outing. When I mean, you mentioned there, you know, his attitude towards keeping anything sentient mm-hmm. in captivity and I agree with that 100% Like I mentioned the whole thing about the zoo that I went to in Chicago I had another incident where uh, I think I mentioned this too before I was in Sulu with my parents and yeah. my mum took me to a water park, it was just the two of us but my mum can't swim and I wasn't in the mood for swimming by myself that's mm-hmm. a bit weird, um, but this show, this park had a dolphinarium and they had dolphins and seals. Yeah. So, my mom spent money for us to go see the show, and I'm like, okay, because my mom knows I love dolphins, mm-hmm. and so we're sitting there, and I'm literally nearly in tears watching this show. But, like, my mom was really enjoying it, and she thought that she was doing it for me, and whatever. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, i always remember, like, you could get your picture taken with a seal. Mm-hmm. And it was like 10 euro. And my mum literally had 10 euro left. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't let both of us go in the picture. And, like, mum really, like, it was obvious that mum wanted a picture. Mm-hmm. um, But they wouldn't let the two people go into one picture. You'd have to pay more. Mum didn't have more money with her so she sort of insisted that i go on my own and so i have this picture of me grinning like an idiot next to a seal and i'm dying Hmm. on the inside (laughs) i think it's literally like destroying my soul um so i completely like when doc john is sort of doing the whole roll up roll up thing and joe is getting so distressed i'm there kind of going it sucks that he has to do that in order to get her to imagine herself, yeah, in that position. Yeah. Um, but it's understandable, and that she gets so distressed because the idea of it is so visceral. I think, and Joe is a very compassionate person, do you know. And she's, oh, yeah. you sort of get the sense that she's never thought about it that way before, like from that perspective. Um, that's one of the things I like about John in this story, or the Doctor in this story, is that he teaches Joe a lot. Without dictating to her, without treating her like she's dumb, he lets her come to her own conclusions. But he's sort of there as a guide, hmm. you know. Um, which I think is really, really good. Agree with me?
1: Yeah, no, I know. I just I remember like a story when we went to Dublin Zoo years ago. Um, you know the way like in uh, in certain zoos, there's like certain animals that are allowed ro- roam free, kind mm. of more like you know, kind of fowl and stuff like that. And there was this one fella there. And for some reason, he just wouldn't leave this duck alone. He kept trying to pick the duck up. And the duck was freaking out. So I I just fucking marched over to him and I gave him an absolute bollocking to leave it alone.
0: Mm.
1: And he just looked at me like I had two heads. And I was like, Jesus Christ almighty. Look, I know that, yeah, I have come here to take it. And see, that's the kind of thing where it's like, I love a lot of different types of animals. Like, you know, you know me, I love prim- uh, primates. mm And girls and stuff like that but i'll never get the opportunity to see them in real life Mm. and going to a wildlife park which is the preferable option for me is the only time i'll ever get to see them in Mm. something like that you know but i was like just because i'm coming here doesn't mean like that they're like fucking they're not my entertainment i'm here to appreciate them i'm not here to fucking kind of do you know clap my hands and kind of go do something for me you know
0: yeah and like i think you know when it comes to my thoughts on Animals in captivity and stuff, and like you know, even with photo, I kind of yeah, I've I've conflicting emotions about that because it's a great way to introduce young children to animals, um, mm. and the animals there are treated very well. But and obviously they have red pandas and like yeah, they're red pandas and they're adorable. <laughs> but my heart does still break when I see them because I just find mm. it upsetting. And like one of the most amazing things that ever happened to me, I mean, a up until this year, if you wanted to see a dolphin, all you had to do was go to Kerry and hop in a boat. Yeah. He was just there hanging out. Yeah. Um. But I went to Seattle two years ago and I went on a boat trip up to Puget Sound and I got to see orcas in the wild, which is like my like ultimate mm-hmm. dream. And I was like, they were quite far away. There's like restrictions on how close the boat mm-hmm. can go. And I was like, I would rather the fact that we had to stay that far away on restrictions than mm. pay to go to the hell that is sea world mm-hmm. to be able to like walk up to the glass and have one looking right at me. I'm like no I went to that I know we're getting off topic
1: yeah but yeah. the point is but like, but like but again this is kind of stuff like if you want to go all the way back to the massacre yeah we we spent a long time talking about the divide that mm. that show was showing yeah. so here is no different like this does bring bring up the concept of and I've made the point repeatedly that science fiction, when it has its best, holds up a fucking mirror to what's going on in the world, no matter how big or small it is at that point in time.
0: Yeah, definitely. And like that's one of the things I like about Doc John here, is that we've had sort of conflicting messages from him, like this Sea Devils versus Silurians and, and that yeah. kind of thing. But I think this is probably the one episode where I agree with him like 110%. Yeah,
1: definitely, definitely.
0: And if you're a fan of New Who,
1: mm.
0: you kind of get that glimpse of the oncoming storm. This idea yeah. of, this idea of, I'm a Time Lord, don't fuck with me. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. I'm giving you a chance here, fucking take it, mm. or I will end you.
1: But see, John does it in the sense of like, okay, like when Tenant does it, even when matt smith does it there's this intensity to it you know like where it's with john it's very it's very it's very james bond-esque in the sense of how suave and debonair he seems when actually giving this ultimatum
0: oh yeah but i think it's that like glimpse of what it becomes oh
1: yeah like after
0: years and years of loss and whatever um but yeah i think john is great in this Mm -hmm. um I love the fact that he's still a little bit up himself, and he freely admits it. Will you ever admit you're wrong? No, no, no <laughs> ne- ne-
1: never, never. And that's why I think that's actually a really good transition point into Joe because, like, her awareness of her surroundings, like her growing awareness of her surroundings, mm. comes from her skepticism as to the Doctor's ability to pilot the fucking TARDIS. <laughs>
0: she's She's not not wrong like no she's not
1: like because like that's the thing like okay you say that we're here fair enough let's take a look around there's some chickens you say that they're the supreme being of this planet i say that they're still chickens (laughs) 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 type thing you know um but i'm loving that literally now between the two of them it's just you know back and forth back and forth the whole time Mm. whereas you know they're trapped in the cabin and the. you know, how about you use the Sonic? Oh, it's the um, Sonic is used for more high tech locks. So you, what you're saying is you need skeleton keys. Yes, here's some skeleton keys. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's all a very rapid response to it, and it's yeah, like a, lar- a large part of it comes from Katie and John's dynamic.
0: Mm.
1: Just you know, in general, but Joe here is also very strong. And I, as you kind of said, I do like seeing joe acting as like the mirror to for the audience yeah in the sense of like when he does the Carney uh barker part and she's very distressed over it you actually feel that you do feel uncomfortable
0: mm. yeah. yeah like one thing again great outing from joe here joe's really gone from strength to strength i think particularly if we compare her back to like, the first few times we spoke about her mm. um one of the things i love here is i mentioned it when we we're talking about the doctor is we see joe learning and this yes. is great Joe has, we discussed this the other week, Joe has probably had the most character progression of any character, with Jamie probably coming in second.
1: De- no, definitely. She, no, out of all of them, she is the, the best uh, available representative of character growth throughout time on the show.
0: Yeah, and like, again, watching the behind-the-sofa thing on the Blu-ray, Katie Manning kind of defended Joe in a big way. Do you know that you know people sort of... Say like, oh, she just has like the doctor leading her around and telling her what to do. It's like, that's not it. it's like you're not watching it if that's what you're saying. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't tell her you're being an idiot Do it this way. He guides her and he teaches her. And like, yeah, you know, she's his assistant for, from a unit perspective, but generally mm-hmm. speaking, he's her guide and her mentor in a way.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. and we
0: re- I think we really see it strongly here. Like, even though he didn't mean lateral thinking literally Literally. yeah
1: yeah.
0: but she still got the idea do you know when she still thought outside the box and sort of was like okay forget a to b what if i go a d c b and try and get it that way you know and i think that's great and we get to see her learning and i love that we get to see her holding her own do you like when she gets stuck when she offers herself up yeah in that time loop of, of like the 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 boat yeah and she tries to get Claire to wake up and she nearly gets it. Can you tell that Claire is kind of like, yeah. And even at the end of the story, Claire is kind of like nearly there at realizing that something happened. Um, But like, she doesn't, you know, stomp her feet. And she doesn't act like a child, which she may have done in her first season.
1: Yeah. No, definitely. She would have, you know, Crossed the arms and sat down with a bit of a huff. Where here she was like, "Ah, fuck this!" And she just <laughs> ran back to the cargo hold. Yeah, it's
0: like, like okay, look, we'll play along. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know where I'm going. But like the fact that even like when she's first captured, she just swans off. Yeah, up to the up to the room. Do you know what I mean? She doesn't even wait for them to guide mm-hmm. her. She's fuck up and does her thing. I think that's great. Yeah, um, and
1: when when she's locked back into the cabin, she's like, "One Mississippi, two Mississippi." <laughs> and just like, goes back at <laughs> the door with the skeleton keys. So. Yeah, like, it's, like, at, at, we're at the stage of the game now where we, kind of like with Barbara and Ian probably at this stage, which is like, they're not really bringing anything new, but they're showing why we've fallen in love.
0: Yeah, I think, I think Joe doesn't bring anything new, but she's shirking off some of the old, if that makes sense.
1: Absolutely. No, it does. Oh, but actually, I had one point thinking, alright, you know, when um, you know, when she's running along the marsh mm. by herself, I'm like, did no one think of Katie's myopia?
0: No one. <laughs> <laughs> also, in those boots. Like, yeah. like one thing i say, her outfit is amazing. Mm-hmm. It's probably her most easily transitionable to modern day outfit we've seen probably, her wear. Yeah, yeah. Um, probably. but those boots, like, yeah. how can you run in heeled boots that go up to your knee? That's insane.
1: <laughs> if I'm gonna be fighting monsters, I'm gonna fucking look good doing it. Yeah,
0: it's no wonder she got stuck in a bog like
1: <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. So any other thoughts about Joe?
0: No, I think that's me done.
1: Cool. So the prominent characters. We have Delboy and Rodney, also known as Vorg and Sherna.
0: I was saying we have Emilius Brown and <sighs> his showgirl before oh, Bedknobs and Broomsticks.
1: That That's good. Oh, that that's actually really good.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's totally who he is. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, <laughs> Professor Emilius Brown.
0: <laughs> yeah, like, if you imagine, like, for the, Emilius Brown is from Bedknobs and Broomsticks, one of mine and Paddy's, yeah. like, favourite movies. Yeah. um, <laughs> But, in that movie, Emilius Brown is this character who has this book that has spells in it. Yeah, and he thinks it's a load of waffle, mm-hmm. but he sells it. He does not realizing that it's real and true, mm-hmm. and like he doesn't understand how any of it works. Mm-hmm. But he's someone who can like is he you know he's a bit of a del boy, a bit of a chancer, you know, a bit of yeah. a bit of whatever. And Vorg is the same. He won this machine, mm-hmm. doesn't really understand how to work it. Certainly doesn't understand how to fix it. But he can sell it,
1: yeah. And like, and he can. To be fair, he can sell it in the sense of like, no, the drashigs, they kind of speak for themselves, yeah. But like, he's good at actually kind of getting across the the appeal of this little kind of mini, or sorry, this uh, this mini verse. You know, mm. um, his outfit, for moves. <laughs> his outfit. Every time I take a look at him, all I want is to eat is a bag of Dolly mix. I fucking don't know why I
0: think we'll get to the battles all sorts at some point in the future. We will. This is the yes. precursor to the battles all sorts though. Yeah. Um I I d I didn't it's like it's with a plastic bowler hat.
1: Yeah, it's it's like if Willy Wonka went to a rave club in a beat there or something like that.
0: Yeah. Well, do it kind of reminds you of in many ways. It's kind of like um Oh, Pearlies. Do you know? Um, you probably best recognise it from Mary Poppins. Right. Right. Uh, when they're in the chalk painting at the end of the race and they're doing supercalifragilisticexpialidocious yeah. mm-hmm. and you have the guys in their outfits are all covered in pearls. Yes. Which is kind of like a pre... It's kind of a vaudevillian, almost like a pre-vaudevillian thing. I think it's mm-hmm.
1: kind of meant to be an homage to that. Yeah, like there, like there is obviously an element of the carnival barker to the whole thing, mm. but yeah, in vaudeville. Yeah, that's actually a really good uh, analogy.
0: Yeah, but it's, I think like the the things on his outfit and even uh, Sharna's outfit, which mm. is more multicolored, but you know, still sort of yeah, bobbly, I think is meant to be that sort of pearly, um, like
1: show, uh, magician's apprentice type thing. Yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah. Amelia's brown is starting to look better and better. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, one thing though you called out with Vorg he did come clock to the end though he
1: did
0: you
1: know, and, and awesome. like, not in a sort of like because he talks about you know his national service days and you know the, you you can kind of tell like that Vorg could be the character to play up the sort of uh, oh yeah like I remember back in my army days it's like what you mean the fucking territorial army days where you just spent the entire time in Kent is that <laughs> it like th- that type of shit you know but no he actually he handles the machine like a pro Like, there's no dithering around where to fucking put the missing component. It's like, slap it in, and he points his knees. And of course, then he has to play up the fact that of what he just did. Which is like, you know, I got one. And then I turn around, and I got another one. And then...
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, but imagine, like, he's a total chancer. He's not used to actually succeeding at anything. And now he has a yarn to tell. Yeah. And you totally know the next planet they go to, he'll somehow work that into his bit.
1: Oh, it's like... But he's already working on the pattern, like, and he hasn't even been bought a drink yet and he's already working on the embellishments for the fucking story. It's great.
0: Yeah. And then and you then got the, Sharna.
1: Oh, poor Sharna. <laughs>
0: She's clearly <laughs> the brains of the outfit.
1: She is. And the thing that kind of annoys the shit out of me is that she keeps being told to shut up.
0: Yeah. Like, I, I, is that a magic with Sharna that like Vorg spun her a yarn? Hmm. And poor Petal bought into it, yeah. But she is fully clued in to the fact that she has followed this man across the galaxy, and he doesn't have a numpty's notion what he is doing. Mm. Do you know? And so even though you know he doesn't want them to know, he doesn't understand them. She she's perfectly would Big. No, nope, he doesn't have a fucking clue.
1: Like she she has a better understanding of it than he does. Like, but again, it's that. Oh, there's almost like a um. Like a Penfold thing from Danger Mouse, which is like, you know, <laughs> Danger Mouse thinking that he knows best. And Penfold's like, how about we try this one, Chief? And it's like, shut up, Penfold.
0: Yeah, and like, the one thing about Sharna as well, that Sharna is, she's also incredibly compassionate. She is. Yeah, you know, which is lovely. I think, you know, at the start, like when he's doing his first roll-up, roll-up type thing, she's there just like, lightly tapping this box. It's like, what the fuck are we doing? But as soon as she realizes that the Doctor and Joe are... Out of the boat. Mm -hmm. Area. She's immediately concerned with them. Yeah. And you kind of get the sense that like. Vorg saw the loss of the. The potential loss of his. Livestock. Yeah. I think while she still obviously treated them. As a commodity. She cared about them a lot more. It's kind of like. If we're going back to our SeaWorld example.
1: Mm.
0: It's kind of like vorg is like the owners of sea who set up the shows and stuff and Sharna is like the trainer who actually connects with the animal mm-hmm. if that yeah. makes sense um yep. i guess it's like she sort of cares for the beings inside hmm. a lot more than vorg does
1: yeah because like when she's when she talks about the power levels going down she's she means the life support levels yeah whereas vorg views it as the oh shit my fucking income is about to go yeah. tits up But I I really wish she would. I think there was like a potential, like you know, would you shut up and listen to me? Moment. Yeah. But it just never materializes, and I think it's a bit. I think it's a bit of a waste.
0: Yeah, I think though in a four-episode story that was fairly tight. Mm. I mean, it does go from beat to beat to beat. There's very little downtime. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they would, if they could have really fit that in in a way that worked because i suppose
1: like technically speaking all of this is happening in the space of what like half an hour
0: a little bit longer than that it's, it's a couple of hours because the cycle on the boat is about um an hour or so because it says 20 to 25 to 7 when they enter the room yeah and then it's like half past six or it's um quarter to six or something when the clock goes back so it's about forty forty five 45 minutes cycle every time and they go through the yeah, cycle multiple comes, times
1: yeah yeah you're right actually but um, it's still
0: like a, only a couple of hours
1: yeah I suppose like, like, that's the thing like, sometimes you you kind of forget like a lot of some Doctor Who stories or oh, yeah no, I'd say a lot of them the time frames that they happen in are very very short mm. yeah
0: the majority of them mm. because you don't want to have to show where do they sleep
1: yeah exactly like,
0: or eat Mm-hmm. Or pee, <laughs> I was about to say, or, or poop. poop. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: so now we have the first of the representatives of Intraminer, uh Platrak. How did such a coward rise to a position of power? All right. Did this? This is a thing now that I'm, it's going to be like about the entirety of the representation, the representatives of this planet. So they all refer to themselves in the. First person, because they always say, like, well, one would assume yeah. That one, yeah, like, and yeah, so they all refer to themselves as one would do something, or one should say something, or one feels like this type thing. It gets very fucking annoying. Um, but they're all, oh, they, they, they actually just watching them, it really just like irks me because, like, they're it's not that they're angst anxiety inducing, but it's just like you may, The more they talk, the more you just want to shake them and just kind of go, would you just shut up (laughs) and make a decision? Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, absolutely. It's like he's he's a commissioner of this this investigative tribunal. And as you say, a bit of a coward, like in the sense of he has these suspicions, yet he refuses to act upon them.
0: Yeah, like he clearly the other two are ganging up on him. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And. Like, he knows they're carrying up with him and he still lets them.
1: Yeah, it's like, why didn't you send for someone to come and try and break the deadlock? Like, if you know that you... Like, if you know that a suggestion that you're going to make is going to have a two-to-one vote against it, how about you bring in someone else?
0: Yeah, like... I don't know. Um,
1: if you ask me, he deserves to get fleeced.
0: <laughs>
1: Actually, I, it, it's solely because of the the gambling aspect, they kind of reminded me a small bit of the Ferengi.
0: How do you mean? Like, at the end?
1: Yeah, no, like, at the the end, even just, like, thinking of some of their interactions, like, you kind of go back to, uh, like, post, maybe, like, like post-season three of TNG, Mm. some of the stuff that you see the Ferengi stories kind of involved in and how they're very all jittery, trying to, like, for example, like, the magnificent Ferengi. Yeah just like they're all very odd
0: yeah kind of i yeah. I, I can see it i think it's yeah. more on a
1: surface level yeah
0: a, like on, a, on a personal level do you know I you mean rather yeah. than on a um... oh yeah
1: no they're not a complete you know palette swap you know one for the yeah. other but it's just like there's elements of their behavior that kind of remind me of the ferengi but yeah. like i i would like I think that you know the Frenchie would take over that planet in about maybe twenty minutes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I I just think Pletrick is just a fucking waste of space. You know, like it, he is. He's so caught up by the other two, mm. you know, like and it's it's no wonder Vorg sort of cons him straight away. Like the guy's got no cop on whatsoever, and he's meant to be like. Because it's kind of like play- he's meant to be in charge of this um, panel. Yeah, but
1: like, but from what I'm seeing, this panel is made up of just him.
0: Well, no, because the other two boys are voting, so the panel is all three of them. But he's well, I, in charge I, we, of the panel. Yeah. Well, I think that's like that's no.
1: It might be just me, like not picking up on the the subtleties of it or, because. It really just seems that I the what it is it's the way that they all refer to themselves as one you know uh, yeah. in the first person that it's like you would think that the lads aren't part of the tribunal so then when they start voting it's like are we are you part of the tribunal or is it just plectrack and you're all these kind of decisions have to have, have like some weird kind of group type thing I I don't know yeah I the think the
0: tri- of, I think the tribunal is all three of them all right but I think he is sort of the the last word but because he's so stuck with the rules if mm. those two vote against it yeah he doesn't use his position of power over them and the closest we get is when he says okay like like you're, once this is done you're fucking finished you know you're mm. gonna have you arrested or whatever yeah um but other than that he's a complete well, fucking moron
1: well, he is like because in case of like you know you know that something is up why do you not just halt the proceedings right now and get that thing sorted out because yeah. like Actually, I'll get to it in my overall. I'll get to it Mm. in my overall.
0: But the other thing is that he's a bit of a sort of presidential yes-man. Yeah. Do you know, Like, I think when he realises, or like when when Vorg is kind of like, oh, I have this letter from the guy who has the same name as your president. He's like, Mm. oh, really? And he takes it, he immediately runs off. Do you know, it's like, I don't know whether it's like he's looking for an out. Mm. Or whether he's like, oh, I can't offend the president. I need to double check. Um, Do you know? He's also like he, he he seems to be a fan of passing the buck. Huge. He thing. doesn't want to take personal responsibility. It has to be a you a unilateral decision by the tribunal. Like, he can't he can't put his name on it otherwise.
1: Oh Christ! I work with someone like him. I just. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> oh God! No, I know why he pisses me off so much. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh God! <laughs> Christ, I can't even get away from that guy outside of work? Ah! <laughs>
0: <laughs> So, we we're kind of saying that we don't really see Pletrick as a villain as such. He's kind of a villain by circumstance.
1: By circumstance. And that yeah. he's
0: very tied into, like, oh, they must be destroyed because, you know, we we can't, like. Do you know what he is? Hold on. He's a fucking border control agent, like what you see on those reality TV programs, with like Australia and New Zealand. And stuff. That,
1: that that's what that that's the thing that keeps coming to my mind. This is like, okay, are we? Is this meant to be like some sort of? I was expecting it to come up in the trivia. Is this meant to be a commentary about Australia's very strict no immigration <laughs> because <laughs> like they don't allow um animals or certain food products in because uh. How could have, yeah okay. contaminants because of how it could affect the ecology of
0: well, which is all perfectly valid by the way oh, we're not saying no, it's not we're just no, no. Saying absolutely. absolutely it is
1: completely understandable it's just that sometimes I think it's the narrator and the tone of the show makes it seem ridiculously strict yeah <laughs> but and but but then you have that the counterbalance is the episode of the Simpsons where you go to Australia and you just see the bullfrogs are running rampant yeah it's like Okay, that's effectively what they're trying to stop. Cool. This all makes so much more sense though.
0: Yeah, so that's what Plectric is. He's a yeah. border control agent. Yeah. Who's bad at his job.
1: Do you have any fruits or vegetables? The TARDIS is full of them.
0: <laughs> uh, and then we have it's... the other two. Uh the yeah. more villainous of the two. Um Aurum and Kalik.
1: Yeah.
0: I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Why does Aurum go along with Kalik? What's in it for him? Well, okay.
1: There's an awful lot of stuff in this story that is mentioned in passing or is dangled like a red herring and it goes fucking nowhere. Mm. Absolutely nowhere. And... Like there was this whole thing of okay, Zarb, who we never fucking see, yep. is the president of the planet. He's also K C- brother.
0: Yeah.
1: And I say, okay. You and we understand, okay, he's taken away from what the planet was meant to be like. No, it's very hard to get a read of what the planet is meant to be like when our taste sample is the fucking tree stooges.
0: Yeah, I mean you know? like the That subplot was added because. Terrence, like we don't actually have a threat. We need to include a threat. We didn't have, they didn't have one. It was just Borg and Cherna. We're going to get yeah. in trouble for breaking import regulations. Basically, <laughs> that, that was the threat of the episode. But, <laughs> that was <you> know, it. <laughs> like,
1: right. This story seems like someone mashed together planets of giants and the sensorites together.
0: A bit, yeah, yeah, I that, see that's, that, yeah.
1: That's how it comes across to me. So, like with Orms. Orms thing is like, okay, he's a he's a lackey. Mm. He seems to be a bit of an idiot, yeah. as a and kind of a spineless one at that. Because, right, you have been told the threat of the Drashings. The Drashings not only eat people, they eat objects. They eat through metal. They eat through they eat through the ship of the fucking crew that actually found them. So they can eat through structures. You also know that they're incredibly tall. So. You know the plan is bad. Why did you stand by as Kalik, one, kept going ahead with this really bad plan, and two, put himself
0: in the firing line? But, like, Orm is the one who sabotaged, who helped him sabotage right? the guns. It's yeah. like, what the hell? Get like, I guess that he may have some political ideals in common with Kalik. And that's fine. Hmm. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion in that, in that respect. Hmm. But I don't get, like, is he just a fucking moron?
1: But even even then, like, his political ideology, if he does have something that's very similar, it's very understated. Yeah. You, like you is it, is it, okay, the same political ideology? Is it the fact of, okay, with you in power, I might get to a higher position, and that's all I really care about is the the financial aspects of it. I will say whatever you want me to say. Or what is it? He's just there to be a lackey.
0: Yeah. I get the feeling he's there because they needed to have voting on this tribunal yeah. as part of the story. <laughs> but they needed someone who wouldn't actually upset the story. So they like, oh, fuck it, we'll, we'll give Calick a, a friend.
1: Jesus Christ, they could have just rock-papered scissors between the two legs. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> and so then we have <laughs> then we have, uh, Calick.
0: Calick would get along great with the master. I think those two would be really good friends.
1: In the sense of that they won't both want to use a fucking higher power and end up getting shafted by it. Yeah, idiotic power-hungry
0: assholes. Yep, <laughs> the two of them. Like Calix, Calix's plan makes no fucking sense. I want—I don't want my brother to be president anymore because he's undermining our society and he's opening our borders and blah blah blah. There is an immigration story in there if you look close enough for it, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, again, but that, that's his opinion. And so the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to release these terrifying creatures and disable our only way of protecting ourselves. Now, granted, he's only disabling one gun. Yeah, is it, but he has this... no idea how big they're going to get before. They attack like before, like other defense is able to be roused. Because like they
1: said that the, all the military personnel on the planet, uh, the entire military infrastructure has been disbanded. Yeah. So so now their entire thing is this one anti-contaminant device. I don't is think this... I don't think they
0: only have one of them.
1: But like, but that's the way that it kind of comes across. In well, the I, sense of... well, the
0: sense I got was that they don't have an army anymore. Mm-hmm. They have a security force for checking people over who come in hmm. and I would assume they have at least one more
1: because <laughs> <laughs> otherwise it's once you're past the first line defense everything is fine. well fucked. yeah because
0: also they also like, they're, they're never to be left unattended which kind of implies there's more than one yeah um, but it's, it's just such a stupid plan it's such a stupid plan it is literally all of the plans we've seen from the master of hmm. I will unleash this amazing power this amazing power is about to crush me shit But this is the
1: the other thing that's kind of stupid about him. Okay, you have, in your society, you have the functionaries to do all this fucking menial bullshit. Why would you put yourself at risk by being the first one in the way when those things get out? You saw how fast the doctor grew up. You saw how fast the TARDIS grew up. What's going to make this thing any fucking different? Why didn't you just use a functionary, an expendable entity in your fucking society? Why did you not just use one of them? Why? Because you're a fucking idiot.
0: But also because he doesn't want the functionaries to have any, um, anything interesting to do. <laughs> do you know, it's like, oh, like z- z- the czar or whatever the fuck his name is. Um, they said the functionaries are bored, and that's why they act up. So we brought entertainers, and he's like, "You're going to entertain them? No, let them be bored." Maybe he saw it like dealing with the drastic as a form of entertainment that he didn't want to give them <laughs> it's like no, you'll enjoy this no, no you don't get to do the thing that you might enjoy and tell the others about it and say it was amazing fun no, I will do it
1: there's actually a really the more I think about it now, I'm very uncomfortable with, the, with the, the presence of the functionaries because their, their makeup and their posturing and their their movements make them look like kind of apes or gorillas,
0: yeah. It's uh, it's something I'm gonna mention in my overall. But like, yeah. there was a second story here, mm. or even a third story here, really yeah. that we never got into, no, um, like at all. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's kind of similar to Colony in Space. There was another story there that we never actually talked about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I'll get into that in my overall because yeah the the functionaries are uncomfortable to watch
1: yes they're very uncomfortable to watch because of the metaphors that they fucking espouse yeah yeah so it's not very comfortable watching no <laughs> So, now that we've gotten past the, the customs gate, <laughs> we're in for the home stretch. <laughs> we're going to give the story our final thoughts and our score out of five. So,
0: Trish, what have you got? What are your thoughts? Overall, I really enjoyed this. Um, I thought it flew by. It's a four-parter, I think it flew by. Mm-hmm. Um, the sort of adventure in the miniscope was really, really fun to watch. Um, great outings by our main duo. Mm-hmm. A chance to see Ian Marker, and no clowns, which is great. Yeah. There is a downside though, because I I do think the story is really good. Yeah. Um, there is something that keeps it from being like one of those top tier, like five out of five stories, and that's the cast system slash coup on the planet itself. I don't think they needed to shoehorn it in. No. Because they don't actually explore it in any great way. Which, in fairness, in a four-parter, I don't think they could. Hmm. Without taking away from the adventure part, which was the best part. Yeah. I think had it been a six, they would have had the opportunity to explore that a bit more. But then I don't think the story would have worked as a six. I think Hmm. the adventure part would have fizzled and that wouldn't have been great yeah
1: no it wouldn't it it, it wouldn't work as a six
0: yeah so here we have this story of a coup Mm -hmm. that we don't care about one way or another and we have this caste system and what docks it for me is that we don't get a doctor's response on it Mm. we get a response of them looking down their nose on other species Mm-hmm. So them looking down their nose on the beings in the miniscope. But we don't get his response on the fact that the the trio, the tribunal, and their people look down on other natives of their own planet mm. who they have made and forced to be subservient to them to the point where if one of them Runs away, it is shot. Yeah, that's disgusting. It's it's also, it's also,
1: it's also vivisected.
0: Yeah, like it is experimented on to find out what went wrong with it. It is Mm. so horrific and it doesn't really get commented on by the doctor or Joe. Joe doesn't experience it at all, so she's no clue. So Joe gets a pass. But they don't ever show it while the doctor is there, and obviously um, Vorg and Sharna, it they don't, it's none of their, it's not their problem, yeah. and they don't really show it with them either because it's always when they're away from Vorg and Sharna they're talking about it. So it's like, okay, maybe leave the coup part, but why have the subservient yeah. second species part? This sort of slave race, why have that? And present them in the way you have as these sort of lesser evolution or like underdeveloped or whatever implication they have
1: hmm.
0: for them. And I was like, that, like, the rest of the episode is super fun. That was unnecessary. Because it went nowhere. Mm. Had they explored it at all... I think it would have been fine. But I think it would have taken from the adventure... Which is what this... Sto- this is like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Like, it's an adventure. Yeah. It's, a, it's a tiny person adventure. Mm. And I think... I don't think it needed... To have it in there. Do you know? Mm. You could have easily had like the three boys... you know, At each other's throats because... You know, Calic wants to overthrow, you know, and become the head of the tribunal. You know, he wants to control the border. That could have been it, just on its own, mm-hmm. without needing a mil- like an overall planetary coup, and without needing the subservient species part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the weird thing is, I still gave it a four, <laughs> <laughs> which sounds mental, but I loved the rest of it. The adventure, everything in the miniscope, I loved. I actually liked Vorg and Scherner for the most part. Mm. It was just the other three and their random fucking side story. I'm like, that's fucking irrelevant. Because it never yeah. goes anywhere. Yeah. Do you know? So that lost an entire point on its own. But the rest of it I actually really enjoyed. <laughs> so uh, maybe a four is a bit too high. You know, maybe 2.75 might be a better scoring but you know, i gave it a four am stick with it um but the the point lost comes entirely from that everything else is amazing hmm. the supporting cast i think was good um the effects were good the production was great they lose the point because they have this random very important story point they do fuck all with it because Terrence just sort of shoehorned it in at the end. Yeah, I don't know. How about you? <laughs> <laughs>
1: so at one at one point at one point my this my initial re, uh, scoring because usually usually as I'm, after I finish the story I give a score. Mm. And then when I do start doing my character stuff, the score gets changed. And then as we start doing this, the score might change or it might um, stay the same. At one point, this story was a one. Oh, yeah. I because I was like I was literally going. What is the fucking point of this story? Because it it, it comes across like as I said, it's like a meeting of planet of the giants mm-hmm. and the censorites. But the beep. Or I don't. I don't even know it's the B plot, but like everything outside the Miniscope right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Is it's so badly done, like. The villains, like the the plectrack and the two boys, they're just so annoying and inept. Mm. Like, the stakes for the coup are undersold, and it's like, is it literally your like your, and like an isolationist, or you're a nationalist and you don't like where this new government is taking things, or is it the fact that you're upset that your brother is the one leading things? We've no idea. All we're told is that you want to launch a fucking coup. Like, like all the stakes. Every little thing that points towards why it should be important that you know this coup is happening, mm. it's flittered away again, nearly straight away, because all our sample size for this planet is three individuals, mm. and not even three of the best, and our brightest. <laughs> and then like well, we that, have that,
0: that 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 part we don't know. Maybe they are.
1: <laughs> well, um, the, the thing with the functionaries. I mean, again. Why make that a plot point? Why not just have. A, like a server. To, like robots or something. Or e- even if you want to, Like you can still be the same species as such. But they're just menial workers. They're the working class. Whatever it is. Why set it up to. As you said. Why set it up to be something that it's not. Or it's not going to be explored. Mm. That really like fucking annoyed me. And it just. It would have been miles better. If, yes, Vorg and Sherna are trying to display the miniscope, I don't know, to a prospective bigger carnival to be, like, hires, like, you know, you've got to to put on a show, but the thing keeps malfunctioning because of the Doctor and Joe inside it, and let that be the story. Have someone, have Vorg, someone offering Vorg a big shot, Vorg being the unintentional villain because he's trying to fix the thing, which is hampering the Doctor and Joe getting out of the thing. Mm. I think that, that, that makes it work better, but this marrying of two concepts for this story doesn't work for me. However, the stuff I did like were I did love John and mm-hmm. I did love Katie. They were fantastic. Um, I was very intrigued It's like, yo, know, okay, what is the rationale like behind? Because it's it's weird, the the human side of things seems to be on a time loop, but we mm-hmm. don't seem like we're not we're not giving that impression that all the other specimen zones have the same thing.
0: I assumed they did. Well It's an assumption, but I assume they did because it's meant to be their natural environment. Yeah. And their natural environment is severely constrained. So I assumed it yeah. was. Hmm.
1: Maybe it depends on the the sentient level of the species.
0: Maybe. But by the way, the it... only other zone we see is an o- 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 the Cyberman. Well, yeah, but we don't see the old Oh yeah, yeah. We always see them on the screen, so we don't actually see. We don't see how Dark are
1: Yeah, and see, that's the thing that that's my confusion. Like, is, is the time loop going the same for the eggs or are they just literally like ants in a colony, like the Doctor mentioned earlier mm-hmm. on? Um, so and it did raise the interesting points over like um, how we view animals as entertainment. And like, actually, because I've talked to you about this before, the movie that came out, The Greatest Showman, mm. which, you know, it, it's as a movie, it's a spectacle. It's great. It's got a great soundtrack. It's really entertaining. But then you realize that it's focusing on P.T. Barnum, one of the first pioneers of early American circuses and also freak shows. And it's like, wait, that guy's a fucking scumbag. Yeah. yeah so it's like, you're how do you... Uh, <laughs> damn Hugh Jackman why did he have to cast Hugh Jackman why couldn't I be like Rufus Sewell who usually <laughs> plays a dickhead <laughs> but um, no so I have upgraded it from a one mm. because I did my my annoyance of Vorg and Sharon was like they're just there taking space but then I realised wait no they're actually kind of entertaining mm. it's the three lads and it's the shit on the planet which actively for me takes away from this so i decided to split it right down the middle and it's a 2.5
0: Cool. This is probably the biggest gap we've had in a while.
1: Yeah, because like, it's it's not gunfighters territory, and it's not no. no, it's not gunfighters territory. It was almost space pirates territory, but it is better than that because there was no phoning in performance from, or how I felt was that there was no phoning in performance from our our leads.
0: I think I think what keeps it at the four for me, just for context, right? Yeah. Is because I agree with everything you said. I think what keeps right. it at the fore for me versus something like The Greatest Showman which I've never seen because I don't want to yeah. watch it because P.D. Barron was a dickhead, right? Yeah. Is the whole idea of the captivity and that kind of thing, the actual carnival of monsters itself, mm-hmm. the core moral issue at that does get addressed. It, it gets yeah. addressed between the Doctor and Joe. And the doctor addresses it with Sharna and Vorg. Mm. And because of that, I'm like, cool. The core fucking part of the story is awesome. There's this extra fucking bit that goes nowhere. But to be honest, if you just fast forwarded every time the boys are talking, oh. you wouldn't care.
1: But this <laughs> is the thing, like, you know, like all that stuff, like in in four episodes, the majority of the progress for that plot. Happens in episode four. Yeah. And that, ju- and what pissed me off is that just so happened to be the episode where Joe is separated from the doctor. And it's like, ah, oh, brilliant. We now have a doctor component to the story and a Joe component to the story. And Joe does fuck all in her component I get captured and get out again. And it's like, no. Why can't it have be Joe investigating her sightings while the doctor is outside trying to fix something you know, or the miniscope to get in and out rather than these three fucking idiots in the corner? in a rigged, like, in a rigged voting system, <laughs> continually, like, oh, Christ. Yeah, no, no one, like, as I said, I hope Vorg fleeces him fucking blind.
0: <laughs> well, the doctor makes the point as he's leaving. Vorg is yeah. going to end up present of that planet. <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely. It's just like, Christ almighty, I believe I'll vote for a third party candidate. <laughs> so, yeah, um, and I, I, see, that's the thing, like, I hated when this happens, it's like when you're entertained by half the story while the other part actively fucking takes away from it. It's like, I want to be entertained by every facet of it. Like, we made the comment about the war game it was like that it's 10 episodes long and there's not a fucking ounce of fat on the thing. Mm. For 10 episodes, there's not a fucking boring moment in the whole thing of it. Whereas with a four-parter, we're like, Jesus Christ, would you get rid of your stupid exposition dialogue and just go back to the fun stuff?
0: Oh, yeah. I, I think... You messaged me the other day saying that this conversation was going to be interesting. Um, I didn't think our scores would be that desperate. Mm. So this was a really interesting conversation. I completely understand where you're coming from. Like I said, yeah. the four is probably too high. But to be honest, when I shut the episode off, mm. all I remembered really was the fun in the miniscope.
1: But see, that's that's the thing. With, like, you, you take different stuff away from it. To go back to a comment I think I made either last week or two weeks ago, mm. the, the Crusade. I scored that higher than you because I had more fun watching it. Because it's like, yeah, it's the Crusades, it's Richard the Lightheart, the Saladin, you know, it's like the whole fucking grade Mm. of it. And it's like, we both think it's a great story. And even though there are parts like, you know, where like, okay, we didn't like that part, didn't like that part. Our scoring's were still different. Same Mm. as it here. We both enjoyed the moral that it brought up we both enjoyed the majority of the stuff that happened inside it it's the shit outside of it just happened to piss me off a lot more than it did you
0: (laughs) it's another story where i'm very interested to see what they did in the novelization
1: yes did they explore
0: it in the novelization i'm trying to think do Mm. i have this story i think i do
1: because i'm actually reading um the web of fear the novelization that you gave me for my birthday Mm. thank you very much and you know the way that we commented about the character Chorley, who was just like you're just using up dialogue. Yeah. You really are. <laughs> it's like, in the book, he's actually, like, he's uh, comes across as, like, a very charismatic and professional, because, like, that's his whole thing. He fucking schmoozies his way to these big interviews, despite the fact that he's a complete fucking inept idiot. Mm. You know? Uh So, like, you get a completely different read of him in the show, which is, he just comes across like this Freddie Lones-type character, whereas in the actual book, it's just like okay, you talk a talk, but when you actually get the job, or when you know the going gets tough, it's like you know you're terrible.
0: Mm. So I don't have Carnival of Monsters, the target book. Uh, I thought I might, but I just checked my list, and I don't. Um, I I think this would be an interesting one to read because again, like going yes. back to the Crusades for a second, <laughs> that novelization is phenomenal.
1: It is. It is a phenomenal. It's
0: one of my favorites, if not my actual favorite. Um, and so I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll we'll have to get our hands on the novelization of this one.
1: I wonder what the novelization is called. The, Doctor Who on the, the the big adventure on the boring planet.
0: I think it's just called Carnival of
1: Monsters. <laughs> <laughs> but like with this like when i made the analogy like you know to the planet of the giants right Mm. everything happening outside of the mini adventure was interesting the whole concept of like this fucking new pesticide that is going to be lethal to absolutely everything and your man the murderous guy forester like desperately trying to cover his tracks see that's interesting that's fucking engaging i don't mind that plot yeah i think the only thing and as we said the only thing that really kept that from being a higher score was the just the botchy decision to fucking cut it down to three parts while not editing it properly.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I would agree. Um, Doctor Who and the Carnival of Monsters. Mm. Um, I won't be buying this from Amazon anytime soon. How much? (laughs) Oh wait, no, hold on. Okay. Uh, When I first read it, Mm -hmm. it was like, mass market paperback, £39.47
1: jesus christ
0: then if you click into it there's ones from like three quid okay
1: yeah also i think it's um uh who won it's a doctor who merchandise store in the uk and he does a lot of target books which is where i got you like your ones uh, last christmas
0: yeah i like the the who shop in in london i think that's probably the same people um i got lots of stuff they have loads of 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 target books and they've got like some like first and second printings and stuff which is great um Mm -hmm anyway
1: yeah so yeah but, uh, whereas pre- previously like we our, our scores have been different because of our fundamental like issues with the actual story like for mm-hmm. example faceless ones or colony in space mm-hmm. here we agree we just don't we just give it a different score yeah
0: here we agree i think it's just the It may have just been the mood i was in yesterday um i have christmas lights on <laughs> yeah Doing my bits, whatever. Um, I think it's says I got so into the mini-adventure yeah, that my brain just was like, there's this underdeveloped plot point. Hmm. I think it's because they wouldn't have been able to cover it in four episodes anyway. Yeah. So it's, in my mind, just... it loses one point for adding in something that... In four episodes, they were never going to get done. Rather mm-hmm. than like, if this was a six-parter and we still had the same colors, I probably would have given it a lot less.
1: Or it could be this could literally be another case of there's two stories here that could be two four-parters.
0: Yeah. Um. So I, th- I think I think for me it was more a case of like you've added in a bit that you. It's just filler. Mm-hmm. So I'm losing a point for filler. Yeah. Um. Whereas for you it's more a case of you should have taken the effort to actually develop it yeah whereas i'm just like just take it out because it was filler i think that's, that's the difference of what we're coming down to in terms of how we um mm-hmm. react to it and that brings us to the end of another story now mm-hmm. we're gonna have a little break
1: yes we're going to have it,
0: two weeks with no episodes yes uh so it's actually three weeks uh, uh-huh. Let me double check. I'm looking at the wrong date, cause I am a more one. Uh, ba ba bum. One, two. One, two. Yeah, it's three weeks.
1: So, wait, this will come out on the twentieth. Twentieth. We're not recording, so it'll be not on the twenty seventh. It'll be not on the third.
0: Yes. So, the 20th the to the 27th is one week, the 27th yeah. to the 3rd is two weeks, and the 3rd to the 10th is three weeks. Oh, shush. <laughs> so, there'll be Ca- two Mondays where there's nothing, which means there's yes. three weeks between this one y- yeah, and Yeah, but next that's what one. I mean.
1: There's no episodes for two
0: weeks. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we'll be yes. back after the Christmas break on the 10th of January with Frontier in Space. Yes, indeed. Till then, happy holidays, merry Christmas, mm. whatever else you celebrate, or if you celebrate nothing, happy New Year, happy,
1: happy uh, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, and everything else in between. <laughs> those are the only other major ones I can think of.
0: Bye, bye. What? <laughs>